Well, this morning I get to uh, shift gears again as we move to the third G in our 3G series. We spent uh, the first three weeks looking at grace, the last two at gratitude, and now we'll spend the next seven weeks or so looking at the third G, growth. Specifically, we're going to look at several habits or disciplines or core practices that we intend when when that when we intentionally engage in these activities they will be things that will help us grow in our relationship with Jesus now if you grew up going to church you probably will remember that old sunday school song read your bible pray every day any anybody remember that you know read your bible pray every day I'd almost, I'd almost like get Lynn back up here to, to do it. Like if you remember it, there's like actions, right? And like you'd start down and you'd have your read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 and you stand up, that kind of thing, right? We're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but in a sense, that is what we're going to talk about over these next uh, few weeks. Now, the thing with habits is that they usually are very good for you if they're good habits to begin with. Uh, reading your Bible, praying every day, those are, those are good habits. Uh, but the problem with habits is that um, they can become habitual. Uh, I, I know that sounds, that's kind of rather redundant, isn't it? Uh, they become routine, right? And so routine that you do them without even thinking about them. And we can end up just going through the motions. Let me illustrate this for you. Uh, deodorant. I know that seems like a strange twist or flip, but just stay with me. Uh, did you use some this morning? You know, might want to check your neighbor, talk to them about it, ask them, lean over. Um, but if you did put it on, how many swipes did you use? Was it just some random number? Or like without consciously thinking about it, did you just do it? Because that's what you do every day. I'm usually like three or four swipes. And I do. I count. And I catch myself counting. I'm going, why am I counting again? It's a crazy thing. I'm not sure why three or four. Maybe optimal efficiency. I don't know. Uh, but it's a habit. And it just is part of my morning routine. Now, the best part of that illustration is that if you haven't been counting to this point, you now will forever on. <laughs> but I catch myself doing all sorts of crazy, usually mindless things that somehow have become habits. I don't have the foggiest idea of where they came from. It's like when I get the mail. We have those super mailboxes where we live in our community, which happen to be exactly the same super mailboxes that they had in our community in Armprior. It took me like two years to stop going to the spot where my, my uh, mailbox was in, 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 in Ontario. And I'd go there, uh, oh, no, it's over here. Every once in a while, I still do it. But that's not the weird part. The weird part is, is I reach in, I get my mail, and I almost instinctively kind of put my hand in there and kind of do a little swipe. Like, in case I'm going to miss anything. Are you? You do that too? Okay. We'll start a support group. And, and honestly, when you're doing stuff like that, you start to look around going, am I just doing this? I hope nobody kind of watches me or is, catches me doing that. And if you ever see me, just, oh, that's just Norb. That's what he does. You know, just, just blow it off. Um, okay, one more. This one's, I, I don't know where this one started. Uh, 
We also have a mailbox on, uh, on our house by, um, by the front door. And um, I don't stick my hand in there and feel around because it's a little small. But I, I lean into it. I kind of <laughs> blow in there. Where that ever came? I don't know. Maybe I did that once and there was something there and I kind of rattled around and it was my way of finding, you know, mysterious things. You know, maybe something magically would just mysteriously appear. You know, oh, a check from the government. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I know, I messed up. And I have lots of these little quirks and maybe you have some too. And we can start a support group. But seriously... I illustrate that because I believe that there is a danger that we have to be careful of when it comes to any spiritual habits that we might practice. Because they could easily become very routine. We just do it. We open our Bible and it's like, and we expect something mysterious to, to happen. Or we show up to a worship service and we sing some of the same songs and we know them by heart. And so we sing out of routine without ever really engaging our mind and our spirit. Well, we want to look at some good habits, things that will help us grow. But we don't want them to become routine. So I hope that we can look at some of these activities with with fresh eyes. And this morning we're going to look at worship. Uh, worship is an incredibly broad theme. I could have gone in a hundred different directions, and maybe I will. But uh, um, we had a shorter message last week, and so I'll make up for it this week. And no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Uh, but there's so much that could be said about worship in the context of a, of a large group gathering such as this. And while not dismissing that entirely, I do want to simply focus on the truth that you and I were made to worship. We were made to worship. Uh, We saw at the very beginning of the service that everyone worships something. Uh, But ultimately, it was Jesus who said, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, this was put together in 1647, asks the question, What is the chief end of man? Anyone know the answer? Maybe you went through some catechism classes. Man's chief end, this is the answer, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's where it starts and really where it ends. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And there are several Bible verses to support this conclusion, but I'll give you one, Revelation 4.11, that we read together at the start of the service. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You see, we were created to worship. Uh, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So this morning all of creation worships. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship and that we were created and made to tell the story of grace. And so worship is a great place for us to start this morning. Uh, Let me start by just talking a little bit about what worship is. What is worship? A simple definition of worship is 
an act of response to God whereby we declare his worth. An active response to God whereby we declare his worth. So it's, it's active, it's not passive, and it's a response to God. A response to who he is and, and what he has done. And in the context of this series, really a grateful response to his grace. And I thought about the flow of this. We spent three weeks looking at grace and, and, and what God has done through his grace in our lives. That, in response leads us to give gratitude and thanksgiving, and that is why we worship him. All worship begins and ends with God and his glory. It does not begin and end with ourselves and our expectations and our preferences. We are not the subject and object of worship. God is. You see, one of the most helpful things to me uh, that has helped me to understand worship is to understand it as a, as a drama. <clears throat> and I, I, I can't remember, uh, I heard this once, and I know it was uh, some famous guy that, that used this illustration. Maybe some of you um, can fill me in after. But uh, it's so helpful for me to, to, to picture worship in this way, is that all of us gathered here this morning, when we gather in a place like this, that we are the actors, okay? If you're thinking of a drama, we're the actors. Those that are up front here leading us are the prompters or the directors of this drama. And there is only an audience of one, and it's God. God is the audience, not us. And so worship is never a spectator sport. You see, worship has always been a very visual term as well. The biblical words for worship, there's, uh, there's many of them, but they come, uh, many of them come from the royal ceremonies and courts, and they describe how subjects were to relate to their king. Uh, the words translated worship actually mean to bow down or prostrate oneself or to kiss the hand. There's even a word for worship that means to serve. As a visual concept, worship involves every part of our being, our, our physical posture, our will, and our emotions. Uh, worship is not just words or music or kneeling, though. It is really multiple parts of, of our lives, of who we are, focused all at the same time towards giving honor, reverence, respect, and awe to God our King for who He is and what He has done. It's an awareness and natural reaction to the presence of God. That was amazing this morning when you guys led us in holy, holy, holy. And I just stood here and I just listened to everybody singing. And it's just like, yes, this is, this is what it is. We're not focused on ourselves or the music. We're focused on a holy God. And when we do that, amazing things happen. R.C. Sproul writes, If people find worship boring and irrelevant... It can only mean they have no sense of the presence of God in it. When we study the action of worship in Scripture and the testimony of church history, we discover, discover a variety of human responses to the sense of the presence of God. Some people tremble in terror, falling with their face to the ground. Others weep in mourning. Some are exuberant in joy. Still others are reduced to a pensive silence. Though the responses differ, one reaction we never find is boredom. It is impossible to be bored in the presence of God if you know that He is there. Isn't that amazing? 
It's impossible to be bored in the presence of God if you know that He is there. And worship certainly should never be boring. In the Bible, there are images of David dancing wildly in the streets and temple musicians playing loudly in worship. Some of the Old Testament examples of worship suggest that it was exuberant, lively, and full of spirit. The holy shouts of joy found in many psalms show that worship was was certainly no subdued event. Consider Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, people under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loved. He has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the shouting or the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. It just drives it home several times over. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to Him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on His holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. You just read that and you just go, yes, that's, that is the response to, a, to a, a good and holy God. When Jesus approached the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the topic of conversation between the two of them turned to the debate of the day concerning worship. And to the Samaritan woman... The central question concerned the proper place of worship. Was it either to be on Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans traditionally worshipped, or in Jerusalem, uh, where the Jews had worshipped? But to Jesus, who had come to really redefine worship in a new and living way, the real question was one of a new understanding of worship. No longer was it about Gerizim or Jerusalem or the place. That wasn't the right answer. The correct form of worship was now one of spirit and truth. And the place of worship no longer mattered. And so if worship in the Old Testament was primarily law-centered, worship in the New Testament became new and living by becoming what I'd say is life-centered. Instead of involving the sacrifice of bulls and goats, it involved sacrifices of another type. And the old external trappings of a specific place or a form and people would be replaced by an internal motivation expressed in 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 three ways and we'll look at these in a second here worship through praising worship through sharing and worship through being now i've already touched on the first one a little bit but let me just expand on that in part, worship will always be an expression of the mind and the mouth. Worship through praising, what we say and what we think. It's referred to in Hebrews 13, verse 15, as the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. It probably is the most commonly understood and expressed form of worship among followers of Jesus today. Through the spoken word, through praise and singing, believers such as us gathering today celebrate with awe and reverence who God is and what he has done. And sometimes through silent meditation and contemplation, we individually respond to the presence of God in our midst. 
You see, when Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well that true worshipers will now worship in spirit and truth, he was saying that, that worship needed to be grounded in, in biblical, tr- theological truth, the truth about who God is, while being motivated by our spirits. It's not devoid of emotion, right? Music can be very emotional, but it's not primarily that. We can so easily get caught up in how a song makes me feel, and, and when we do, that, that should really be a little check in, in, in us. Because then we have to ask the question, is it, is it still about God, or has it now become about me and about how I'm feeling? Our thanksgiving finds expression in singing. You can't read through the Psalms and come to any other conclusion. Forty-one Psalms include this little phrase, Sing unto the Lord. Though it seems obvious that, that that is one of the clear ways that we ought to worship God through our singing and through our praising. And the mind and the body, the mouth and the heart, they're all involved. But it really is more than singing. Because it's a condition of the heart, an attitude of the heart where we love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. And so really it becomes a a way of life with Jesus at the center. Worship through praising. And remember that the place doesn't really matter. So we can sing at home. We can sing in the car. We can even sing in the shower. We can worship through praising Every day. If you're having a crummy day, sing. You know, the, the Apostle Paul, they're thrown in prison and, and beaten, and they sing in the midst of hardship and pain. They sing. And that's why we can say, as the psalmist says so many times, as, as horrible as things may be going on around me, yet I will praise. And if we, <clears throat> when we gather like this, then on a, a Sunday morning, and we've been praising throughout the week, uh, we can then again find uh, expression for our worship through singing. And sure, worship involves more than singing, but you can't deny the importance of it. And secondly, let's look at worship through sharing. Because Worship is much more than what we say. After encouraging worship through praising, uh, the writer of Hebrews continues to speak of a different form of worship in the next verse, chapter uh, 13 and verse 16. Right after he says the fruit uh, uh, or the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips giving praise, he says this, and then do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So it goes from a sacrifice of praise to now a sacrifice of sharing, of doing good to others. It's another form of worship for followers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul referred to this kind of worship when he spoke about the Gentiles who were like a sacrifice of worship that he was offering up to God. He willingly shared the gospel with them. And then in Philippians 4.18, he also refers to a financial gift that was given to him, an offering, excuse me, that was given to him by the Philippians. He describes this as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So worship through sharing or 
what we do can take many forms. When we share our possessions with others in need, it can be a form of worship before God who has given us all things. When the offering is collected in a Sunday morning, it's just not, uh, you know, one of the orders of business. It's, it's as much worship as the songs of praise that we've sung just moments before. The Bible teaches that every believer in Jesus is given at least one spiritual gift. May it be teaching or leading or serving or encouraging, giving, whatever it is. But when we use our gifts to the glory of God, we worship Him. When we serve in our area of giftedness, we worship. So that means even that those that gathered at 8 a.m. this morning to set up chairs and tables and, and the platform here and instruments and, and rehearse and, and, and they're cutting fruit and getting everything ready in the back, they're all worshiping. And those that right now are teaching the children are worshiping. God has gifted you and He's gifted me with special abilities. And we honor Him when we use them. I mean, think about the time that you took the opportunity to thoughtfully choose the perfect gift for that special someone. You know what you go through, right? You you listen for a hint, you you ask friends and family, and you, you bought a perfectly useful gift. Maybe it was something practical, a, a tool or a jacket, or it was decorative or whatever it was. You just knew it was the perfect gift for that specific person. But then they didn't use that gift or wear it or display it. And every time you go to their house, you're kind of looking around, you know, where do they, where do they put that thing? And how do you feel? You feel a little bit like, man, I... You know, I took the time, I thought about this, I thought it was the right gift, and you start second-guessing yourself maybe. And, but, but sometimes, you know, maybe you even feel a little hurt or maybe dishonored or disrespected. And that's why when we use the gifts that God has given us to honor Him, we bring glory to Him. We worship Him. So when we cut our neighbor's grass when they're on vacation or shovel their sidewalks in the winter or whatever it is, we're worshiping. And so we worship by sharing or by what we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 commands us, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I've always loved Colossians 3.17 and then again in 23, he basically repeats the same thing. I think for effect to drive this thought home. And whatever you do, Okay? Think of all the things that you could do, whatever you do, whether in word and what you say or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. See, whatever you do matters. It matters to God and it brings Him glory. And lastly, worship through being. Not only do we worship by what we say or sing and by what we do, we also worship through who we are. The third form, uh, this third form of worship is the worship the Apostle Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, when he recounts all that God has done in the life of a believer in Jesus. 
And he does so, he repeats over and over again, that these blessings result to the praise of his glory. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read those verses, but if you have a moment this afternoon, make a mental note. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1. And you'll see all of these spiritual blessings, all of these things that God has done in the life of a believer. And he adds that we might be for the praise of his glory. What we are, who we are, praises the Father with supreme worth. In Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, Paul reminds us that when we live as children of light, we find out what pleases the Lord. We read in Philippians 1.11 that the fruit of righteousness that we possess brings glory and praise to God. And in 1 Timothy 2, verses 2 and 3, we read that godliness and holiness please Him. In one of Scripture's startling twists of God's grace, we bring honor and praise to Him when we simply are what he made us to be, made to worship. What this all means is this, that when we worship through praising, through sharing, and through being, we discover that all of life is worship. It involves everything we say, our praise, everything we do, our sharing, and who we are. And here's a prayer that I think expresses this so well. It's called an instrument of ten strings. O Lord, we will praise you. We will praise you with an instrument of ten strings. We will praise you with our two eyes by looking only to you. We will exalt you with our two ears by listening only to your voice. We will extol you with our two hands By working in your service, we will honor you with our feet. By walking in your statutes, we will magnify you with our tongues. By bearing testimony of your loving kindness, we will worship you with our hearts. By loving only you. We thank you for this instrument, Lord. Keep it in tune. Play upon it as you will and ring out the melodies of your grace. May its harmonies always express your glory. This instrument of ten strings, our two eyes, our two ears, two hands, two feet, our tongue and our heart, is perfectly captured in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. And this is something that we do every day by what we say, by what we do, and by what we are. As we offer our praise, our bodies, our money, our time, our gifts, our possessions, our obedience, everything, we are offering up to God the praise and honor that He alone deserves. We were made to worship just one. And we do that when we live life with Jesus as the center. Not me, not self, just Jesus. Every day and every moment gives us an opportunity to offer up a sacrifice of worship to God. Your assignments at school and your projects at work could be worship that honors God 
because it is he who gives you integrity and wisdom. The relationship I have with my unsaved neighbor can be worship as I help him build a fence. The hour we spend together Sunday morning in in corporate praise is a joyful culmination of a life lived in worship at home, on the streets, in quiet moments, and in our service. You see, worship isn't just a service we attend. It is very life lived out before God. It is a life of praising, of doing, and being what pleases Him. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Friday night, I was cleaning the kitchen. I know you're probably surprised. Um, And I was just listening to some music. And uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman has a new song. And maybe you've heard this on Shine FM or maybe you even have this, this album. But it's a song called Do Everything. And I've heard it before, but honestly, I hadn't listened very closely to the words. And I knew what the song was about sort of in general, but as I stopped and I just kind of listened to every word, I went, this is perfect. This is really what the message is all about this Sunday. 